Raising children is a full-time job, and that's why we've called this podcast Parent 24-7. In this ongoing series of podcasts, we'll be unpacking all the issues that affect parents in South Africa. I'm chatting to psychologist Kada Creel about maternal mental health. In this podcast series, we'll unpack the various aspects of pre- and postpartum mental health and why it's so important for mothers, and in fact fathers too, to be aware of their mental health. We'll chat about the various ways pregnancy and childbirth can affect a parent's mental health, and we'll unpack various diagnoses and treatments and suggest options for family support. Gada, please tell us a little about yourself, your area of expertise, and also why maternal mental health is so important to you. Sure. Thanks, Elizabeth. So I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm also a mother of two children. And it was really during my second pregnancy that I realized how affected I was by the change that was going to be happening in our family. So I would say I became quite depressed during my pregnancy. And I realized just how important it was to be taken care of because I myself then obviously went for therapy and found somebody that was kind enough to listen to me and really put things in perspective for me. And I noticed just by observing the impact that my mood had on my family, on my husband, and on my firstborn, and I knew I had to get myself back together. Um, Since then, I've worked with countless mothers that have experienced difficulties postpartum, and that is really, it's become such an important work for me because it really affects family and it affects the children. And when families and children are positively affected, our communities at large are positively affected. So today we're unpacking postpartum depression in particular. Now tell me, is it actually called postpartum depression or postnatal depression? I've seen those it's, all it's over. It's potato, potato. It's really, <laughs> it's really more of the same. Um, so is there a difference between the yeah. two? No, not no. really. It's, it's all a name, you know. So um, partum means post-birth, natal means black pregnancy. So it's really just after birth and pregnancy, really. So no, there's no real difference between the two. Okay, so I'm certain all new moms experience what many euphemistically call baby blues. Can you explain to us what baby blues is and what makes it so clearly different to PPD? Sure. Okay, so baby blues really happens. It's a biological thing that happens usually around the third day of um, having had your baby. And that is true for whether you've had a natural or a C-section, okay? So what happens is suddenly your body realizes it's no longer pregnant. Every time you feed your baby or every time that you, your body and um, your uterus contracts as it has to get smaller again, it starts to um, give off some nice hormones. And then eventually those hormones, actually your levels of progesterone that are the pregnancy hormone, they dip and they go really low. And then you feel, you feel really low and you feel really bad. And usually around that time, also for mothers that are breastfeeding, their milk starts coming in and their breasts get really engorged and sore. And that's when you also realize, um, well, you're going to have to take care of this really helpless little baby for the rest of their life, really. And and that's an overwhelming feeling. So um, baby blues is, I would say, natural. I think most people, most mothers really do get that. But it's such a natural response. It's a natural um, physiological response, psychological response to a really big adjustment. And I, I think that it's something that we try to pretend like we don't have you know i remember after my second born i went to the store like four days after birth with my husband walking there in pain having had a c-section and walking in there and we met some people that 
my husband knew and I didn't know so well. And I just remember standing there and they were just chitter chatting. And I felt so annoyed with them. And I actually think that I might have, you know, growled a little bit. <laughs> um, wow. And I realized I was just really, it was such a big change. Everything yes. had changed for me. Mm. So I, I realized that we don't always, I mean, had you asked me, I would have said, no, I'm fine. Um, it's in retrospect where I realized, yeah, maybe it was a bit of an adjustment for me, this new baby, this new life, um, an unplanned C-section. So really, baby blues is that. It's that natural response to this change in your um, life, change in your body. And also, like I said, we do, uh, we have to be mindful of the aspect that the hormonal aspect, you know, the way that your body responds to the physiological changes after birth. And then also, of course, for us women, I thought that when you give birth to a baby, your tummy just goes back to being flat, and it does not. If only. Yes. If only. I know. It's, you know it, it stays in a wobbly way for quite some time. Quite you know? some time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for a lot of women, they, the expectation that they have about what it's going to be like versus the reality of what it's going to be like, um, yeah, there's no Photoshop that can change the reality of motherhood, to be honest. It can be quite a shock. Yeah. I, I, I know that feeling myself. <laughs> So then, but then how do you know when you, when it's baby blues and when it's more serious? So baby blues usually resolve within say a week or so. Um, it's not long standing. Depression, postpartum depression will last much longer. Anything longer than two weeks, I would start saying is possibly postpartum depression. People are so surprised when you tell them that it's only two weeks. Yes, I was actually quite yeah. surprised at that now. But the thing is, if you've ever been depressed, then you'll know how long two weeks can feel. That is true. <laughs> yeah. It can feel really long. So in, in, when we put it in that perspective, actually two weeks is just a really, it's a, it's a good marker to say, I've been feeling this low for two weeks. I really haven't been myself. I've been crying. I haven't, feel, I haven't felt hope. I haven't felt enjoyment. I feel overwhelmed. And then the one thing that I usually look for that's really subtle and that almost no mom is going to speak about spontaneously is do you actually enjoy your baby? And that is one of the ways which you know, because babies also, again, biology hasn't failed us in this aspect. Babies are born cute. <laughs> Even like if you think they're not pretty, they're still cute. Okay. They've got these really big eyes. They've got these really little tiny noses and little feet. And if you, um, if you don't enjoy and you don't find some kind of reciprocal enjoyment in that relationship, then I would say really maybe time to go see somebody and just get the help that you require. Okay, so I know from experience that sleep deprivation and that overwhelming feeling of responsibility and monotony, those, mm -hmm. those few, first few weeks of the days do definitely feel very long. Yes, they do. That can make one feel, for lack of a better word, depressed in yeah. a way. So how do you know when to ask for professional help versus just getting a good night's sleep? Yeah. Okay. So there are many different kind of factors that could influence whether this is just a sleeping thing. Um, I have had sleep deprivation, I think, for the better part of five years. I don't have sleepers. I have eaters. I don't have sleepers. I have the same. <laughs> they do not sleep. Yeah. Nothing will make them sleep. I don't know what to do about <laughs> it. We just get used to operating so, on very little sleep yeah. yeah. and then mm. you know the value of a good night's sleep yes. is that you do feel so much better a new person yeah so if you are able to if you're worried about that and you can negotiate with some support system a partner a husband a mother a sister somebody to take care of baby for an evening and you just get some sleep mm. um, 
that would be a very good indication. I mean, that's just kind of a layman's way of indicating whether this is more serious or is it just sleep deprivation. And the other thing to to be mindful of is we, we talk so lightly of sleep deprivation, but sleep deprivation has been linked with depression, has been linked with anxiety, has been linked with psychotic disorders. Mm. Sleep deprivation is not a thing to take lightly. And I think if we, we're looking at all of this research that's coming out about sleep, and we know how mothers, new mothers, are sleep deprived. Very much so. Yeah, we, we expect them to function on this really normal level. But in reality, I think we do need to rethink how we are supporting mothers to get more quality sleep. Um, an hour a night, an hour every interrupted, that's not really sleep. You know, you can say you go to bed at eight and get up at five, but if the baby's been up six times in between, that's not really good quality sleep. And it really is important to try and just get some of that. So I would say negotiate with a partner and see. But then obviously, um, there are other aspects. Once again, like I said, if you do not enjoy your baby, because even sleep deprived mothers are still usually able to enjoy their babies. Hmm. What what other kind of symptoms can we look for? I mean, it can be hard to say to somebody as well that you're not enjoying your baby. Baby, that's one that they really talk about. So this is more kind of if you are experiencing that for yourself, you'd know to seek help. But from the outside looking in, if you were looking for symptoms, the kind of I mean, the classical one for depression is having a low mood. If your mood is persistently low and you can't get yourself out of that, that's one symptom. Um, if you're feeling overly anxious. Like, if you're naturally an anxious person, you might be a little bit worried about your baby. You know, is it pooping enough? Is it weeing enough? Is it drinking enough? You might have the need to suddenly start expressing breast milk and just measuring how much and how regular. And um, so, anxiety as a mother shows up in different ways. Baby is sleeping, but you're not sleeping because you're like holding your hand in front of baby's face. Yes, watching them breathe to make sure they're breathing, checking on them every five minutes. Absolutely. So, you know, all of those, you know, those are kind of anxious responses. And if you're having those kinds of responses, that's a symptom. So we often think of depression as only a low mood. But anxiety can coexist with depression. And we're finding that a lot of people under-report symptoms of anxiety when that's actually what they're primarily experiencing. So people will say, but it's normal to worry about your baby. Yes, it is. And it is normal to worry about your baby. But if you are absolutely obsessive about this, then that's not normal anymore. That That's something you might need to get checked out. Um, so the depression, the low mood, the anxiety, if you're feeling really like your self-worth is low. Um, as a mom, we're all figuring this thing out. Okay, so nobody really knows what they're doing. Uh, and they just wing it and each new phase has new challenges so we're always just kind of winging it yeah i get a lot of um comments from people saying how they feel like they're failing their family or they're failing as a mother that word failure comes up quite a lot i think sometimes it's it's normal you want the best for your family if you you can't give it to them in some or other way you'd feel like you're failing but how would you know then in this sort of situation so if you're failing if you feel like you're failing your newborn baby or your baby within a you know a young age um, and you're not able to garner the resources to say well I can do this to improve or I can do this or you know I know I know I'm not the greatest story reader to my children but I know that I'm a great cook and I really feed them well so you know that kind of balances things out we all have different strengths and we mm. all have different abilities and I think it's important that you are able to just remember what your specific strengths are and that you're able to offer that to your children. If you come to the point where you feel like, 
you have no resources and you have no nothing good to contribute to this relationship or to this baby that kind of low self-esteem where you're constantly doubting every decision you're making and so elizabeth in this time we live in information overload time yes google doctor yes very dangerous yes and and social media we're comparing okay so um <coughs> one of the things i know that a lot of mothers say is that they wanted to breastfeed and they couldn't and they formula fed their baby and they felt so ashamed about that mm. you know there's no reason to feel shame if you are providing and feeding your child you know that's really something that's admirable and that's good no matter how you're feeding your child Obviously, you know, we, we can go into the science and we can get all, you know, finicky about it and say you have to do this. And if we could all raise our children in those little vacuums, that would be fantastic. But we are going to fail as mothers at some stage. And I think that's important to know. And I think it's important to realize because you're also teaching your children that you're not perfect and that they don't have to be perfect. So there's actually a lot of freedom. And actually, there's a, there should actually be a lot of joy in not being perfect as a parent. So, um, but it's a hard place. I know if you're a new mom, that's a hard place to go because you don't know why your baby is crying and your baby and you might have a different temperament and babies are born with a certain temperament. Some babies are easier than others. Um, some need a bit more, they're a bit more fussy and you're really, it's a strange, it's a human being and, and this baby, you've got to get to know them. So we fall into the trap of saying, oh, but I have to be madly in love with my baby immediately that's just not true all the blogs will tell you that's how it is <laughs> yeah. but it's not the reality for many women and we shouldn't shame moms into learning to love their babies that provides the opportunity for them to gain their confidence so yeah if your confidence is persistently low if your mood is persistently low if you're feeling anxious and then it comes back to sleep so if you have a baby that is sleeping and you go for a lie down and you cannot switch off and you cannot sleep that could also be an indication of postpartum depression. So not this thing that the baby is keeping me awake. It's like my thoughts are keeping me awake. I'm ruminating. I right. can't switch off. I'm so obsessed. If I sleep, the baby will die. That kind of thing. So sleep is really important. So if you find that even if you have the opportunity to sleep and you can't, that's something also to be just mindful of. It's just kind of a red flag that's up. Okay, so um, there's quite a few uh, symptoms. Yes. Things you could look out for. Yeah, and there's one that moms don't talk about. Mm-hmm. They might mention it to a trusted friend, but this is something I think that is so important to mention because it's not spoken about often, but it is something that a lot of women experience, and that is actually rage. Okay. <laughs> so Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to admit that they are permanently irritable or yes. angry or even ragey in that they're angry at their baby or perhaps yes. their spouse or another caregiver i'm not sure who who's around and yeah. who you might find to blame absolutely if that's a, if that's <laughs> a part of it they are unpack that for me yeah uh, that's it's such an interesting thing because we as psychologists i think we understand that angry is often sad disguised Okay. Right. So when somebody is experiencing anger and they're experiencing irritability, we would ask, like, what's that really about? Okay. So now you've just had a baby and everybody's coming to visit, right? And it's then, supposed to be the most amazing yes, time of your life and you're supposed to be so magic happy. Dust. And yes, <laughs> it's just this rosy glow on the whole world. And obviously not everybody actually feels that no and 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 mothers sometimes they'll they'll express that they actually feel this deep-seated significant rage 
And sometimes that rage gets directed at the baby. Mm. Um, and really, it's not the baby's fault that you're feeling this way. So that rage, that anger, that irritability, that is usually when, and I think we've got to be so gentle about this thing because it's a real experience for mothers. It's not something that they've brought upon themselves. And it can be caused by so many different aspects. You know, you might have a partner who's very helpful and he irritates you because he's too helpful or he might not do anything and he's mad because he's not bringing his part. You might not have a partner. You might be a single parent. You know, there's so many different reasons that we could find to be angry at the world when we knew mothers. I mean, like I told you, I, I was growling at some people just because <laughs> they were taking too much of my time yes, <laughs> in yes. the shopping store of sharing course. nice stories. <laughs> so it, it is a real thing. Okay. And, and I think that we feel so ashamed at this because we know, like with our minds, with our rational human minds, we know that it's not okay to be this angry at this poor helpless little baby. So what we do is we don't talk about it. We, when we get asked, we'll say, no, it's so cute. I just love this little baby. But we find like these mothers, sometimes they find they're a bit rough with their babies. They're changing the baby's diapers and they're just really like taking it away. And right, you know, they're just rough in their engagement mm, with the baby. I see. So if you're finding it hard to be gentle with your baby, that could be a sign that you're actually like depressed. And, and it's a very delicate situation because nobody's going to ask you, so have you, how have you been feeling? Have you felt really angry at your baby lately? <laughs> nobody's going to ask you that question. Yes, in fact, not enough people ask mothers at all if they're okay. No. They, they ask about the baby, yeah. but they very rarely say, are you actually okay? Yes, yeah. And so it can be hard to then sort of stick your hand up and say actually I also am in the room I am important too yep. I need some attention I'm not okay absolutely mm. and I think this is where you've got to have that internal discussion with yourself going like okay so probably nobody's going to ask me because I should be okay because I've just had a baby and that's what they all think but I know for myself that I'm acting in a way that's not myself I'm irritated about things that are not real issues to be irritated about i don't like this baby i'm looking at this baby and i do not like it if there were a return stamp i would return it that must be very hard to admit though it's difficult to admit elizabeth it's such a tough thing to admit and this is where you've got to be so mindful about who you're sharing with yeah because what about the stigma i mean we all know yeah. mental illness mental health in south africa still unfortunately and globally has mm. so much stigma attached yep. and i mean we're all working towards openness and doing away with that yeah. and it will only improve everyone's lives mm. so what what's the stigma like in south africa so yeah i mean stigma i think worldwide is still really high for any kind of mental health in south africa they are it's often overlooked because women don't necessarily talk about these things with each other. But I must say that I have got a lot of hope. So one of the big US-based motherhood blogs called Motherly has declared 2020 the year of the mother. And they've launched January with a big thing about mental health for women and for mothers specifically and how that looks like. And conversations like that are really helpful. And as people share their stories and as we normalize it, I mean, it should be as normal to ask a new mother, listen, how's your mood? How are you feeling? How are you coping? As it is to ask her about her baby's diaper, because we do that. We ask all kinds of inappropriate questions to new mothers. Yes, I've had some very yeah. inappropriate questions where I've been wondering, what is this to you even? But yet we don't <laughs> ask them the most important questions. Yes. And if you can ask a mother about her birth experience, then I'm pretty certain you can share with her and ask her about 
what has her heart experience been like since she's had this baby. So um, talking about it breaks down the stigma. And I think what is really helpful is that there's lots of celebrities that are opening up about their own journeys with um, postpartum depression. And I, I like that. I value that. It's important to, to say, though, that every single person's experience will be unique and different. And we actually cannot say, this is the cookie cutter. This is the mold. This is what it looks like. And this is what it's going to be because that takes away a lot of the individual dynamics really so i would say helping people to talk about it creating platforms like you're doing right now on parent 24 that's really important because it's accessible people can listen and they can go like oh my gosh i never knew i had this and you know so i work with a lot of kids as well and oftentimes one of the questions i ask the mums is did you suffer from postpartum depression and they usually sit back and they'll like sometimes they'll say like no i was really happy to have this baby and I, it was fine but so many sit back and say you know when i think about it now mm. i probably did but i never received the treatment for it because i thought that either it was normal or i was so ashamed by it mm. so we have to say that postpartum depression is not normal it's not it's not the, it's not every mother doesn't have it when you have it you need to get help so we're looking at stats that indicate around 30% of mothers indicate symptoms of postpartum depression. So that means that, you know, there's a large portion of women that don't have it or that don't report it at the very least. But it, it also shows us that we should be seeking treatment when we do have it. We shouldn't just make it off as saying like, oh, it's just, I'm just getting used to being a mom because that takes away, it actually devalues your experience. Absolutely. So what can a mom do if she suspects she's suffering? And what do, what do treatments look like? And where does one go? Sure. So, you know, it, this will depend on your kind of the, the places where you stay and what's available in your area. The, the government actually has an incredible campaign running. It's called the First Thousand Days. And it's supportive of the baby's development. And a big part of the baby's development and healthy development is the mother's mental health. So if you go for your post-birth checkup or if you go to any clinic or to any doctor, after you've had your baby within the first six months of having your baby and you're having these symptoms and you tell them i've recently had a baby and i have these symptoms please will you just have a conversation with me and help me see whether this is postpartum depression in most cases now we're really open to that so your local clinics that you can go to the nurses there they're being trained in this so your maternity nurses some gynecologists if you're in private and you go to see a gynae for your six-week checkup some guys really ask and they're very mindful of that but if they're not asking you about it like offer the information tell them look actually i haven't been sleeping i haven't been this i, I, I want to see a professional about this and they can recommend you to somebody a good place to start would be a counselor or a psychologist to start off with and just say listen i really need help with this relationship with my baby i need help with my relationship with myself this adjustment is taking me longer than i thought it would and they would be able to start helping you. So talk therapy is a big part of the treatment and medication sometimes is, is required. And again, there's no shame in taking medication for depression. It's um, if you take medication, if you would take medication for your blood pressure or for your diabetes or for whatever other illness you might have, why wouldn't you take medication for your mental health? So, it's the stigma attached i'm it, sure there's still there's yeah. still people don't want to admit that there's something wrong yeah. with their minds but they're more happy to admit that there's something wrong with their lungs or their yes. blood or yeah. their heart why, so, why is this why is this still here <laughs> uh well we can go into a whole talk about just that the stigma of mental health there's there's many reasons historically you know we haven't treated people with mental health really well 
And I think that's most of society, most countries. And if you think about that, I mean, even if you think about movies, the kind of way that they portray, how do movies portray people with mental illness? They're usually either a psychopath killer or totally unstable, or they end up in these asylums that keep them alive. I mean, that's not a very healthy way of portraying mental illness yes, at all. Yes, it's, it's almost, it's never a mother holding a, a newborn baby in no, a pretty setting. No, mm. you know, so... I think that the, the the media plays a big role in changing that perception, and and that's part of what you know we're doing here, is to open up these conversations. And we're not going to make a movie about it, I suppose. <laughs> Watch the space, but <laughs> but in the long run, you know, just having having more access and, and getting people to talk about it more freely. So, is it really as simple a cure as talking about it and taking a tablet? Well, yes and no. <laughs> the talking about it bit goes a bit deeper I suppose you know that that can bring up a lot of stuff you know that you might want to share with your partner or with your family or you know it's about talking with a professional but it's then also about helping learning how to structure your life in a way that is supportive of your mental health and that's really important is that we think about how how can we structure life to be supportive of mental health a lot of women feel the need to have these picture-perfect lives you know and they want to cook every meal with fresh organic vegetables and they want to have a sparkling clean house and they have these high expectations of themselves but really when you have a newborn when you have a baby i remember a friend telling me when i had my firstborn that it really takes about two years after each child to kind of just find yourself again and i felt that to be so true in my own life you know it really does it, it destabilizes the entire system that you've got going and if we're mindful that it's a destabilizing impact on your family system then what you can do is you can say okay so this is a new normal let's let's figure it out let's see what what's going to work you know so after our second child for the longest time we ordered meals to come to our house because and they weren't really nice meals. They were just really like, they weren't that great. I mean, I, I love food. So food's important to me. I like to eat. <laughs> I just When I say I love food, I like to eat. And I like to eat well in the sense of it must be tasty. And and some of that food, I remember going like some days, going like, oh my gosh, this has had to be the worst cottage pie I've ever had. And I'm going to have it again next week because I'm actually not up to cooking. You know, just being realistic about that. And, and remembering that it's a season, you know, taking some pressure off yourself and, and putting yourself out there and saying, this is a season, this is just what it is. We're just going to adjust to this whole new environment. And I think at the end of the day, Elizabeth, that's, that's what we're looking for is we're looking to say, mom's opening up and saying, listen, I'm not coping. I need this. And we need to allow moms to do that so that we can empower fathers, you know, to support mothers. And where there's no father, can we support the mother with our communities? Can friends step up? Can friends step in? So it's really about the individual, the talking, the therapy, the counseling. Sometimes just even telling somebody, I have these feelings, it can already lift the burden. Hmm. So we know it's a change. It's, it's, a, it's a, a big change, an overwhelming change. And people often talk about going back to how things were before. I think that's mm. something people need to let go of. Like you said, new normal. You move forward into something new. Yeah. That, that can be amazing, obviously. It can, yeah. be a, a, it can be great. But what if those first two weeks and you don't actually approach anyone does would postpartum depression ever wear off does it ever end if you don't seek treatment and if you don't seek treatment what's the worst that can happen Ooh, worst case scenario question <laughs> okay well let me first just start off by saying that postpartum depression 
is actually considered any depression that you experience within the first six months of your baby's life. Okay, so sometimes babies are born and it goes really well. And then somewhere between month three and four, four and five, five and six, mom hits rock bottom. Okay, so the first six months of the baby's life is considered, if you have depression or anxiety during that time, it's con considered with postpartum onset. Unless you've had a pre-existing condition, then it could be a continuation of that. But that is just something I want you to be mindful of because often when we think things have settled, we so easily let moms off the hook in those after those first few weeks. So, you know, maybe you have a supportive community and they take care of you for like the first month. And then after the third month, you start struggling. But now you've done so well. So what's happening now? Okay, so I think it's important to just reiterate that it takes that whole first six months any depression that happens in within that time is considered postpartum onset okay okay and then the question about the worst case scenario is actually it's, it's quite significant if it's left unchecked if you don't actually get the treatment that you require it can have a lasting impact on your relationship with your child and this can last well into adulthood so babies are primed for connection and one of the problems is that when you're depressed you don't want to connect not with anybody. So you are, might find it really hard to connect with your baby. And that relational bond, you know, that bonding time is so incredibly important. So that can impact on your baby's relationships later in life. So that's kind of now really painting a worst case scenario picture. I would say worst worst case scenario picture could end in the end in the, the death of the infant actually, and then it, like this is something I hope doesn't happen to any of the people listening to us. But if you really want me to paint the darkest picture possible, oh, brace um, yourself. Yeah, brace yourself. You know, if you're angry at your baby and you feel like you want to shake this baby, we know about you can read up on on shaken baby syndrome. If you shake your baby, you can actually cause brain death. And this is something we don't want to talk about because nobody wants to talk about shaking babies because nobody wants to admit they have that kind of rage towards a little baby. Absolutely. But it's really important to say that that probably is the worst possible outcome. Well, I would say the second worst possible outcome cause suicide. And, and I think that we sometimes don't want to talk about suicide because also, again, stigma and well, who wants to think about a new mother taking her life? Yes, that's a really awful picture to paint. It, it's it's terrible, but yet it does happen. So that is, and, I, and that's kind of why I'm saying it. As you, know, you did ask me about the worst case scenario, but these are realities that we face and that we have to deal with sometimes. I'm always like extremely grateful. So I work in private practice and I also work in in public sector. And I'm always grateful when we have a, a mother that had an attempted suicide, but we managed to pull through because then we can do that kind of work where we, we work through that and we just really help her to reconnect with her baby and we reconnect with herself. And, you know, why I'm grateful is because usually after that, they're so like, I can't believe I would even consider that. Like looking back at how I was feeling, I, of course I felt that was the only way out of my situation. But usually when you start working and you get through that, then that's, that resolves. So yeah, worst case scenario is a, a deceased mother or a deceased infant. And I think that's why it's so important to be proactive in the way that we manage it. Sure. That's a lot to think about. Yes. That's a downer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but there are treatments available. Mm. There are supportive doctors, the clinics, the government hospitals, yeah. they're all receiving training. Yes. So there is a lot of hope too. 
and definitely talking about it is the way forward yeah so you know finding the people that you can speak to and if you don't want to speak to a professional getting a close friend that you can speak to somebody who will just have empathy and i always say you know if you speak to one person and they tell you listen oh you're just being silly you just had a baby you have nothing to moan about that's not the right person to speak to so you speak to somebody until you find that one that says well that's really bad and i'm sorry you feel that way how can i help you so that's what you're looking for is somebody to say to you how can how can i help you and then use that support garner that support that they offer it reminds me of a something i read recently that said the most powerful words another woman can hear is me too yes Absolutely. Yeah. And when we start talking about this and we open it up, like how many women start saying, I experienced that. Oh, my word. Is that what it was? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully this encourages more women to talk Absolutely. and share their experiences. Great. Thank you so much for all that amazing information. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> Knowledge is power. And by understanding the issues, parents can take control and find the systems they need to be the best parents they can be. Absolutely. And I say parents because dads are parents too. Yes, yeah. Mm. So parental mental health is a, is a big thing. And I think it's important. I mean, we focus a lot on the moms, but I think it is important that we focus on the dads as well. And, you know, they're the ones that often don't ask for any help. Moms will still tell a friend, but dads, man, those guys, they really, they, <laughs> they suck it up. <laughs> so we'll be unpacking a lot of more of these issues in this series we're doing. So to our listeners, please look out for other episodes in this series where we discuss more of these tough topics and work to destigmatize mental illness and provide awareness around maternal mental health in South Africa. If you have any questions for Khadr, please contact us. The details are in the notes below and we'll ask her on your behalf. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for creating this awesome platform. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Parent24's podcast with me, Elizabeth Mamakos. Sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with the latest parenting news and information and more podcasts like this one. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest, please get in touch with us. Our details are in the notes below.